What is going on, friends? Thank you for joining us for the New Vision Podcast. We here at New Vision believe that the gospel transforms lives. So we're going to take an opportunity to open up God's word and see what he has to say so that we can take the best next step to become more like Jesus. Hey guys, hope you're doing well. Cloud back with you here, and I'm glad you guys have been patient. Today, we're finally starting our podcast that's a companion to the sermon series through First and Second Samuel. And so the, the sermon series has been going on for a couple weeks. Thank you so much if you all have been tracking along with us in the book of John, but we're finally back and caught up with the sermon series. We'll eventually pass it up. That's the benefit of doing podcasts Monday through Fridays when Sundays only happen once a week. But so we're, we're going to follow along with the sermon series. And so we hope that you are getting not only just the, the content from Sunday, but just the, the stuff that we might miss because it's hard to get every single verse uh, in a sermon series. And so that's kind of where this podcast is hoping to fill in the gaps. We're going to go verse by verse. Now, that being said, today's more of an intro episode just to kind of get our heads around the book as a whole. Maybe it can kind of help us as, as a reference point going forward. You can come back to this episode and just think about the big picture of the book of First and Second Samuel as a whole. And so uh, I'm, I'm just talking about chapter one. I will read some of that, but I wanted to go into just a little bit of the, the who, what, when, where, why, as we call it when we're, when we're going through book study. And so basically the book's called Samuel. It's in the Old Testament where we are in the big picture of the meta narrative, the big picture of the story is Israel's history, right? So we know kind of the, the Genesis, the Exodus, you know, God creates everything, creates Israel. They, they get stuck in Egypt. They're in captivity. They get free from Egypt. Moses leads them out. They get the Ten Commandments, that whole deal. Then they go to the promised land. They're supposed to drive out the Canaanites to, to wipe out those surrounding nations that God has made war on, his holy war there against him and everything he stands for. But he's chosen Israel as his people to do a work through the rest of the world. And so he uses them to go into that new territory, that new country, the promised land. But Israel is just constantly unfaithful to the God who rescued them. And so the rest of the Old Testament is this kind of series of like Israel asks for help and then God saves them and then they sin and then they rebel against God and then they God sends them into this place and then they, they ask for help and then God saves them and then they sin again. It's like this over and over picture and it's like there's this huge leadership vacuum as the people of Israel reject their God, their king who has saved them and has loved them and is is you know carrying out his promises to the world through the nation. And so you get to judges. That's where it's like, okay, well, we have these these rulers called judges. They were more military-type rulers. And so where we find ourselves is at the tail end of that era, that time period. It's the end of the judges. Uh, and, and here's a key verse that we see in Judges. That this is the very last chapter of, uh, of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so it's setting us up for this process that this vicious cycle that repeats over and over again, like the people have no king, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. It's just a mess and it happens over and over and over again. And so in comes Samuel. This is the next era, the next section of history, the history of Israel, the meta narrative of the Bible and, and, you know, gospel history. What's the next era? And that's going to be the king. And so that's the big picture 
of, uh, of first and second Samuel is the monarchy. So they have never had a king before God has been their king. And we're going to eventually see how Israel is, uh, they're, they're rebellious against God and they want it to look like all the other nations. And so God actually gives them what they want, but there's something deeper in there. And so it's true that we do need a king. We need King Jesus. We know that as Christians, on the other side of the New Testament, looking back and, and reading all this in the context of New Testament, that we do have a king, but they don't know that at the time. And so God is, he's going to do something. He's unveiling his history, ultimately to point to Jesus and the true king. But he's going to use these earthly kings and the history of Israel along that process to tell that story, to weave together his story to show off himself and bring himself glory. And so where first Samuel comes in, we have no king and we're going to need someone to appoint that king. And that's the person of Samuel. So that's the quick overview. We have, we don't know who wrote this. A lot of people think Samuel, uh, the namesake of Samuel. So the prophet of Samuel wrote a lot of it, but of course it covers his death and you can't write about your death after the fact. So there's, we're looking at multiple authors the genre, most people call this like a hero story. Like you have, you know, Saul, and then there's the big, big names like David, and then Jonathan, and the big players, right? And so it's kind of like this, I'm using air quotes, but hero story. But we know that God's the true hero of the book. Uh, when it was, you know, about a thousand years BC, taking place sometime around there, yet yeah, it's in Israel, and why? We said that it's about the kingdom. And so today, as we pick up in chapter one, that lengthy, you know, homework aside, we're going to try to read uh, most of chapter one. So if you'll stick with me, this is 1 Samuel chapter one, verse one, and I'm reading out of the ESV. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. So Hannah is the first wife and Peninnah is the second. Kind of like the story of Abraham where, you know, having children is a big deal and he couldn't. So he took a second wife to, you know, have a lineage, which was a huge deal back then, more than we can even understand in our context here in 2022. But it was a big deal to them. Let's try to get our heads on that. Uh, it's obviously having two wives is wrong. The Bible is just recording it, not endorsing it. But in any case, that's why he's done what he's done. So two wives, it's a mess. Verse three, year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. 
And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor shall ever be used on his head. She is saying, if you give me a son, I'll make, he'll, he'll take a Nazarite vow and he'll be in the house of the Lord forever. So basically she's, she wants a son, but now she's giving up every benefit of having a son away. So she, she's, she trusts the Lord. Verse 12, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. And she said, Not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked him. Kind of a formal answer. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and she went back to her home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. No explanation necessary, right? Verse 20, In the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. All right, and I'm going to go ahead and stop there. You can read the rest of chapter one today. Today's episode has been long. It's kind of, like I said, it's, we'll elaborate on it more fully. It's been more of a reference episode. And so I'm stopping there because she, she names her son, which she wasn't able to have children. So God opens her womb. This is a miraculous birth type thing. It's, that's pointing to something, right? (laughs) Like we've seen that so many times in the Old Testament that people, that women are barren and then that God gives them a miraculous birth. Now, this is not, the virgin conception of Jesus. It's not like that at all. They had relations normally about how you produce children and that's, but God blessed that. And so God gave her in his sovereignty, a miracle, this son that she had asked for, which I think is really interesting. So I was doing some research on this. And so, um, when you see verse 20, so in, in the course of time, she became pregnant. She gave birth to his son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Now, this is kind of boring stuff, right? Maybe it's boring to you, but we didn't have time for it in the sermon series. But Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him, when you do research on that, it's like, wait, what does that mean? Like, does Samuel actually mean that? You know, as far as the etymology of the the word, literally Samuel. Well, Samuel doesn't mean because I asked the Lord for him. So people are like, okay, so why does... Why is she saying that? Samuel, because that's not what that means. Like, it's Samuel, right? So the researchers kind of like came to this idea like, okay, in Hebrew, and I'm not going to bother pronouncing it for you, but how you say Samuel in Hebrew, you know, where they're like, you know, making all the sounds, right? You know how that goes. So they said his name, it sounds like asked for. It's like it kind of, oh, it kind of sounds like it. So they're saying, she said, I'm Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. And when you say, I asked the Lord for him in Hebrew, it sounds kind of like saying Samuel. So that's how she came up with the name. Now, what's really interesting, if you do an etymology on names, Saul, the name Saul, which we know is going to be the first king of Israel, literally means asked for. 
Like that's that's the definition of Saul asked for and you and when you say it in Hebrew. I'm not going to bother you with that. So anyways, when she says I'm going to name him Samuel, the name Samuel sounds like I asked for him, all right? But the name Saul literally means asked for. And so what we see is this really interesting it's it's if you weren't Hebrew, then you wouldn't have picked up on it. But this is this kind of literary thing that obviously God is weaving together in scripture and this actually happened like that's this play on words that's talking about how like okay Hannah wants a son so badly and she wants him and she asked God for him but she asked with right motives because she doesn't ask for selfish reasons to to have a son you know to to have a really cool picture on Instagram and to you know kind of compete with all her other girlfriends from college and have a, a a kid to somehow fulfill her you know that kind of I want the white picket fence that whole kind of deal right she's not asking for selfish reasons she she says you know what God I've wanted a son but you're you're in charge you you everything belongs to you everything and so if you do give me a son I'll praise you by giving him back I'll relinquish all my rights. He'll live at the temple, and I'll, I'll raise him, yes, but I, he'll live at the temple, and I'll kind of give up every benefit of, of having a son, every selfish benefit. And God honors that. That's what she asks for. She finally sees this miracle is not only that she's been given this son in a miracle that she couldn't have birth before, but it's that her heart has changed. What she asks for is God's glory and what, what God wants most which that's a miracle in all of our lives to ask for things that give God glory and not mostly because it benefits us in some way. What's ironic is you see this play on words in Samuel sounding like the words asked for and then Saul, the first king, literally meaning asked for, is that Israel wants a king really badly because they want to be like all the other nations. They want someone to deliver them. They want all the goodies and the benefits that they think they'll get from being like all the other people on Instagram, right? And so they ask for this king selfishly. God actually gives them what they want, even though it's the wrong thing. He gives it to them as punishment. We'll see that in the coming coming days, the coming weeks. And so I just thought that was really interesting, something a little bit deeper that we may not have had time for in the sermon series. And so hopefully that will help you make your own application. What are the things that you pray for? Are you going to be like Hannah? Are we going to be like Israel? We're going to pray for something for our own selfish motives, or are we going to pray for something to give God glory? Hopefully that is encouraging to you guys. Hopefully it's challenging to you guys. Stay tuned for the next episode tomorrow where we'll get more in-depth on the follow-up to this story. And you'll have a great day, and we'll see you then. Thank you for joining us today for the New Vision Podcast. We hope that you have heard a word from the Lord and that you can better walk today in light of God's word. To find out more information about New Vision, we would love for you to follow us on Instagram at New Vision Life or look us up online at newvisionlife.com. And as always, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow.